Now we're in Leviticus. Now, we finished the first seven chapters. Now, when we go through Leviticus, we go through this study. Remember, we went through the book of Exodus. We studied the tabernacle. When you look at Leviticus, picture the tabernacle in your mind as you go through in the different divisions of the book. For example, first seven chapters, we dealt with the five different sacrifices or offerings that would be given. Those five different offerings, we see each and every one of them pointing to Jesus Christ. They show him, they, they describe his character, the things that he has done for us and continues to do for us. And if we flip it and we come from the other direction, we can also see that God shows us our response to him as we respond and come back to what he's doing. So as we look at that, we'll see it. Now, if you were at the tabernacle, you walk through the door of the tabernacle, the first thing you come to is the bronze altar. What happens at the bronze altar? All the sacrifices, right? Well, after we pass the bronze altar, we come to the bronze laver. What happens there? Washing, cleansing, sanctification. So as we look at these next three chapters... That's where we're at. The consecration, the sanctification, the setting apart, and the cleansing of the priests. And those guys who are to do the work of the service there uh, in the tabernacle. So let's take a look. Chapter 8. We'll begin. It goes like this. I'll tell you as soon as I put these down. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments... And the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. They're going to set apart, sanctify the priests. The priests being prepared for service. Now, we look at this, often we get the question, many of us are wondering right now, why are we reading the book of Leviticus for crying out loud? We don't do those sacrifices anymore. But if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 7, it indicates that you and I, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, are a kingdom of priests. Amen. And that call that God lays on us in 1 Peter is the same call he tried to lay out on the nation of Israel in Exodus 19. Exodus chapter 19, the Lord said to Israel, to the nation, you're going to be a kingdom of priests for me. But after that, something happened. Remember they had that whole thing with the golden calf? And they were all worshiping this false god. And Moses came down the mountain and he said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, stand with me. And only one tribe stood. Levi. Who became the priest? Levi. They became the priesthood. The Levitical priesthood. So from that point forward levi is going to fulfill a role that god had intended for the whole nation when we look at the church now the church has not replaced israel but the church corporately becomes the kingdom of priests to him a holy nation to god so when we look at the consecration in these next three chapters you need to see we're looking for parallels we're looking for pictures that describe to you and i what we need to do as we want to present ourselves to service to the Lord. Sunday morning we studied 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that of the 2 million people from the children of Israel who came to the promised land, 
most of them God was not well pleased with. We do a little bit of careful study and we discover we know the number of the ones that God was well pleased with. Two. Two out of two million. That's not great. That, that's F in any school. Now, what that should bear to you and I is a warning. It's not saying that the other two, the two million weren't saved. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that they did not experience everything that God had for them because they were satisfied to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Are you satisfied with where you are? Because the call that God gives to the Levitical priesthood, chapter 8, 9, and 10, and what he does to consecrate them, God hasn't changed. It's the same thing he wants to do in our lives. What stops that from taking place? Folks, God's not going to wave a magic wand over your head and poof, you become holy. That's not what happened. We have to decide this is what i want to do this is how i want to walk this is this is what i want to apply myself to and we allow god to do the work but we have to present ourselves in that way we have to say here i am consecrated completely remember romans tells us i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto god which is your reasonable act of worship or service so when we consider that if we want to move forward we're to be a living sacrifice now you listen we we studied the sacrifices right it's kind of hard to be a partial sacrifice when you're being cooked on the altar it's an attitude of it's everything i want it all the lord wants all of us every part no darkened corners that we're not allowing him into he wants us to give ourselves completely so we see here the beginning of the consecration of the priests and verse four so moses did as the lord commanded him 12 times that phrase is going to be in this chapter 12 times moses did as the lord commanded him or aaron did as the lord commanded him hey folks if we want to move forward with the lord and experience that concept of being well pleasing unto him One of the first things that we want to grasp, one of the first things we want to wrap our hands around, are you willing to do what God's commanding you to do? We read God's word and there are things in God's word that God is laying out for us. It's black and white. It's not shades of gray. When you read God's word, are you excusing yourself saying that this doesn't apply to me? Are you willing to fulfill what God has revealed to you so far? If there is a point in God's directing you where you're stopping in obedience and saying, no, I'm not going further, I'm not going to obey whatever, X, that's as far as you're going. You can't move forward apart from making the choice to be obedient to what God is calling. Moses called, and or God called, and Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done and moses brought aaron and his sons and washed them with water first step in the consecration to the lord they're washed with water they're cleansed now this main washing that the priests experience it only happens once other times there will be ritual washings that'll take place smaller scale but this time consecrating them they're totally cleansed it's a it's a picture for you and me it's, if we're going to serve the lord we can't serve the lord if we don't know the lord can't serve the lord if i don't have a relationship with him 
So it is that overall total cleansing. And it also simulates for us the future when Jesus said, and now you are clean, how? By the word that I have spoken to you. Ephesians chapter 5, what does it say? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved a church. And it goes on to tell them what? Wash her with the water of the word of God. So we come to a relationship with God and we are cleansed. But then we must continually return to the word of God to be clean. Jesus said, you walk through the world, you get dirty feet. And I'm here by the word of God to clean your feet. How many times do we need our feet clean? If you want to clean your feet once a week, that's fine. Maybe you should clean it every day. Some folks ought to clean their feet a couple times a day. When my boys were teenagers, there was no place to hide from the stench of them feet. And God help us when they were playing football. Because they would finish football practice, and they come home with their sweaty gear, and they put that in the house. Oh, no, that can't happen. Because the whole house smelled like a locker room, and there was no salvation for it. So their football gear stayed outside. I don't care what gets in it out there. It smelled so bad, no critters were going to bother it. It was horrid. It was horrid. I had one football player who played for me. His ritual was he would never wash his practice gear. He played football for me for four years. Oh, man. Seriously, his shirt would stand up by itself. His mom broke into his, his sack of, of football gear and took that shirt and tried to wash it and almost had World War III. He was coming all unglued to get his shirt. Oh, you're going to ruin. I, we lose the next game if you wash my shirt, you know, as though that has anything to do with it. However, we need to be clean, right? It's sick. But it's amazing how many Christians, I want to move forward with the Lord, but I don't recognize, I don't realize that I have to be in God's word daily. Give us this day our daily bread. Word of God is bread to us. We got to be daily in the word. So the first part, I'm going to be cleansed. I have to have a relationship with him. Got to be daily in the word. If I'm unwilling to be daily in the word, I'm not going to move forward, man. It's not going to happen. Until I decide, hey, I'm willing to apply myself. I'm willing to take his word and allow it to wash me clean. Then, verse 7, he put on the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, uh, put put on the ephod, and he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and he tied the ephod on him. He put on the breastplate on him, and he put the urim and the thummim, in the breastplate, and he put on the turban on his head, and also on the turban on his front, he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded him. What's the next thing he did? He's clothed. First he's cleansed, then he's clothed, washed in the water of the word. Now what are we clothed in? Hey, every priest wore four articles that were exactly the same. Then there were four other articles that were, were unique to the high priest. Guys, book of, uh, book of Hebrews tells us the high priest is Jesus Christ. So those four implements are going to point completely to him. But the other four things that they wore, you know what they were made out of? Linen, and you know what color they were? White. 
What does that speak of? It speaks of our service to God is no sweat. It wasn't wool, wasn't something else, wasn't something difficult, it was linen, cool. And it was white. What's white speak of? Purity, righteousness. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he clothes us in what? His righteousness. I'm not clothed in my own righteousness. I'm not clothed in my own works. I'm not clothed in any of that stuff. I'm clothed with his righteousness. He puts his tunic upon me. He puts his robe on me. For he who knew no sin became sin, what? That we might become the righteousness of God. Remember the parable that Jesus told in the book of Matthew? He said that that people were invited to a wedding feast. They sent out the invitations. Not enough people were responding, so they went down the highways and the byways and the back alleys, and they invited whoever would come to come. But when the wedding feast began, they found a person there that didn't have wedding garb on. He wasn't standing in the righteousness of the king. He was standing on his own. And he was excused outside of the wedding feast. When we come to God, we come to God clothed in his righteousness. Listen, I want to move forward with the Lord. I need to be cleansed, washed in the water of the word, and I need to be clothed in his righteousness. Part of the clothing that they all wore in common was a turban. What does a turban speak of? It was the hat that they wore. That hat was their covering. They are submitted under cover. They are standing under the covering of God. We all have to learn to do that. We all have to learn to submit ourselves to the work of God in our life. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, it came into your life through the hands of a God who loves you. We need to learn to submit to that. We need to learn to place ourselves under his covering. Under his covering before him. Now listen, the four things that were placed on the high priest that were unique... Let's talk about those. Not going to talk about it here. We already studied them in Exodus chapter 28. But here's where they were. First, he had that robe. Remember the robe? The robe that went over uh, his tunic, that robe was blue. Blue speaks of heaven. When Jesus, he has underneath him the, the same as everyone else, humanity clothed in divinity. That God became man, robe of blue. Where did he come from? Heaven. He was a bread of life, right? Their fathers ate bread from heaven, and they perished in the wilderness, pointing to the manna. He says, I am the true bread from heaven. Picture Jesus Christ fulfilling that call. He's wearing this robe of blue. Then he had the ephod. The ephod was the apron. The apron, remember, same exact color as the the inner tabernacle, as the door. It spoke of his divinity. It was embroidered with pictures of cherubim all around it. It had blue, scarlet, white, and gold thread built throughout it. And, it. and each of those things, speaking of the character of Jesus Christ. Then on that ephod, they placed the breastplate. Remember the breastplate over the heart. What was over the heart? Twelve stones, one of each of the twelve tribes of Israel over his heart speaks of his love love for the people over his heart on his shoulders on his shoulders were placed the names of the 12 tribes the shoulders of that same breastplate so he bore the burden of the people on his shoulders and he loved the people carried them over his heart that's our high priest that that's jesus christ but underneath that that tunic 
That's the same thing that we all, as his priests, we wear together. All part of that family. Now, just a quick side note. They placed in the breastplate the Urim and the Thummim. The reason it's quick is because nobody really knows what it is. All we know is the Urim and the Thummim is how God spoke to the people and directed them. Urim and Thummim means lights and perfection. You read the Old Testament and it'll say the high priest sought the Lord for direction and the Lord speaks to him through the Urim and the Thummim. How did he do it? Nobody knows. No, some people make it as simple as a white stone and a black stone, but we don't know that. We don't know that. And it, it, other people say it was the, the stones on the breastplate when the light from the, from the menorah in the holy place, when it flickered, it caused the, the stones on his breastplate to shine maybe in a different way, and he would decipher from that. The point is, nobody knows. And after they were taken into captivity in Babylon, the Urim and the Thummim were gone. So they didn't have them anymore anyways. But at this point, this is how God revealed his will to the people, to the high priest, through the Urim and the Thummim, which were kept within the breastplate, okay? So we're cleansed, we're clothed. Let's go on. Then he says, And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and its utensils, the labor, its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, put hats on them, even as the Lord had commanded. So the next step as we move forward being consecrated to the Lord is the anointing. You have to have the anointing. There has to be that anointing. What's the anointing oil speak of? All throughout the scripture is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to have called and equipped you to do whatever you're trying to do. If in your mind you're saying, you know what, I think that I'm supposed to teach Sunday school, but you have not been anointed to teach Sunday school, it's going to be a problem. If you have been anointed to teach Sunday school, but you're not willing to be obedient to the calling that God has placed on your heart, it's going to be a problem. There has to be that anointing, that anointing to do the service for which you are being called. As the Lord guides, he provides. If he calls you to do something, he also gives the empowerment to do it. God called David to slay Goliath, right? So he was specifically called and empowered to do the work. He could have done it any number of ways. He used a sling and some stones. Right? If anyone else tried to fulfill what David was called to do, it wouldn't work out. It was his anointing. was his time. And David teaches us a great lesson about understanding the anointing of God. Because when God told David, hey, you're going to be the next king... Did David go fight Saul and take the kingdom away? He said, hey, God has anointed me, and when he's ready, he's going to put me on a throne. David did nothing to put himself on the throne. He waited. He would not touch what? God's anointed. He would not touch God's anointed. When David's son rebelled against him, David doesn't know. Maybe the Lord's moving against me. Maybe my anointing is over and it's time for my son. Did he fight his son? Nope, he just walked out of the city. 
He said, all right. If the Lord's in it, you'll be king. If not, you won't. And he wasn't. He learned to function within the anointing of God. The cleansing, the clothing, the anointing. Hey, that's what, it, it's, it's the same thing we all experience in our relationship with God. The cleansing, the clothing, and the anointing. They're anointing him with oil. Okay, what takes place next? Then, verse 14, he brought the bull for the sin offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. And Moses killed it and took the blood and put it on the horns of the altar all around his finger, uh, with his finger, and purified the altar. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. So the first place they begin consecrating the, the family is with the sin offering. What does that speak to you and I? The next thing that takes place, cleansing, clothing, anointing, sacrifice. Sacrifice. David, one of the greatest things I think David ever said was, I will not give the Lord something that costs me nothing. If I give the Lord something that costs me nothing, that's not sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. Sacrifice should cost something. So the next point in our step is there is a sacrifice. There is a cost. There's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to moving forward with the Lord. If we're not willing to to pay that price, to make that sacrifice, again, we'll hit a roadblock and we stop moving forward and developing with the Lord. What's that sacrifice? I don't know what that sacrifice is for you. But if you listen, the still small voice of the Lord will speak it to you. He'll say, you need to cut this out. You need to check this issue. You need to put this on the altar. Give it to the Lord and don't take it back. We got to come to that place where we offer the sacrifice. What's the first thing that happens here? First, they do the sin offering, okay? Just like we studied that in the first seven chapters. Verse 18. Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering. So what's the next offering they offer? This is the order in which it goes. First, sin offering. First, sin has to be dealt with, right? Second, the burnt offering. The burnt offering, which was an offering of sweet-smelling aroma, right? It's one of the ones that was a sweet-smelling aroma. Like the peace offering and the meal offering. Why were they sweet? They're sweet because they weren't required. Sin offering, trespass offering had to happen. The burnt offering didn't have to happen. That was a free will offering. When we make that sacrifice, that free will sacrifice to the Lord, it's always going to be a sweet-smelling aroma to Him. So next, first they did the sin offering. Then they do the burnt offering, the sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. They did all the things that we studied in the first seven chapters, verse 22. Then He brought the second ram, the ram of consecration, And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses killed it, took some of the blood, put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around the altar. Okay, we're cleansed, we're clothed, anointed, We have sacrifice. 
What's the next thing that happens? The next part is we apply the blood. You got to apply the blood of Jesus Christ. You got to, for lack of a better term, plead the blood. What happened to them? Where did they put the blood? On their right ear. So that means with the blood of Jesus Christ touching my ears, everything I hear should be affected. Everything I hear should be affected by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then they put it on the the right thumb. Everything I do, how I serve, how I work should be affected by the blood of Jesus Christ. They put it on the right toe. The way I walk, where I go, should be affected by the blood of Jesus Christ. There has to be that application of the blood. Remember, Paul said, hey, all things are lawful for me. But what's the next part of that? Not all things edify. Not everything is helpful. If we apply the blood of Jesus Christ, does it change what we want to hear? Does it change what we want to do? Does it change where we want to go? Well, it ought to. The blood of Jesus Christ ought to change that. We want to move forward, right? Well, why did they do this to the priest? What did this signify? One, the blood on the ear signified that I will hear from God. I'm going to hear the voice of God. My ears attuned to him. On the thumb, I'm going to do what God calls me to do. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do the work that God has laid out for me. And my right toe, I am going to walk in the will of God. That was what the priest was set apart to do, right? What was the point of the priest? The priest was going to bring the people or represent the people before God. To represent the people before God. So I have to hear God's voice. I have to do God's work. I have to walk in God's will. So when they were consecrated, they applied the blood. And it changed forever the things that they would hear and how they would hear and and what they were listening for. Do you know what you're listening for makes a difference, right? Did I ever tell you the story about the, the city boy and the Indian? Well, it doesn't matter if I did because you're about to hear it again. <laughs> so this was, there's this guy from New York City. His best friend in the world was, a, was an Indian. Now, the Indian, he lived out in the middle of Wyoming. So he was out in, a, in, in, in Wyoming in the middle of nowhere. And his, his buddy lived in New York City. So... Every six months, they would get together at one guy's place or the other. Or the the fellow from the city, he liked to come to the country, and and the Indian, he enjoyed going to the city. Well, one day, the Indian was visiting the guy in New York City, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but they're walking right down the streets in New York City, crazy busy, hustling, bustling, all this this chaos going on, and all of a sudden, his, his Indian friend stops. Did you hear that? One of the guy from New York City says, wait, did I hear what? The sirens, the gunshots, the screams, what? what? What did I hear? He said, the cricket. Oh, come on. You're not going to do one of them Indian tricks for me, right? You are, there's no way you are hearing a cricket. He said, I am hearing a cricket. I know there's a cricket around here somewhere. Whatever. There's no way you're hearing a cricket. I'll prove it to you. 
So he walks around, he listens and walks around. And there was one of those outdoor cafes. And around the edge of the cafe where the tables were out on the sidewalk, they had some, some plants set around. He walked right over to one of them plants, looked around in that plant, reached out in and pulled him out a cricket. And he showed that guy from New York City, cricket. And he says, how did you do that? How, is that like some, you know, ancient Indian thing passed down from the generations from one to another? And his Indian buddy says, no, it's all about what you're listening for. He's like, oh, come on. What do you mean? I'll show you. They walk back out to the sidewalk. He reaches down into his pocket and pulls out a quarter. He throws that quarter up in the air and he says, watch. And they just stood back. And that quarter hit the ground. Everybody that was walking down the street heard the quarter. Sound like money just hit the ground somewhere. They started looking. It's all about what you're listening for. What are you listening for? Are your ears tuned in to hear from God? Folks, I used to come to church when I, when I was going to church before I started going to Bible college and I was sitting under Pastor Gerald. And when I would walk into the church, if Pastor Gerald wasn't there, you should have seen me have a conniption fit. <laughs> Who in the world told him he could have a night off? All he's got to do is preach on Sunday and Wednesday. How hard can it be? My goodness, where's he at? Oh, who's, who's teaching? Oh my gosh, they got a guy up there. T- I know as much as he does amazingly, I wouldn't hear anything from the Holy Spirit. I wonder why. What was I listening for? I didn't come and say, man, I can't wait to see what God has to reveal to me tonight. And until I learned that I needed to tune my ears to receive, because every time, every time God's Word is opened up, I don't care, it's a six-year-old that does it, there's something that God wants to reveal to you. And if you will approach the word that way, you'll receive. It's all about what you're listening for. It's all about where you, how your ears are tuned. What you're willing. What, is it, what does Romans tell us about our hands? It says, present our hands as tools of righteousness to God. How do we walk away from sin? How do we break the bondage of sin? He says, present your instruments... As tools to God. Do the work. What do you present yourself to? You, pre, you, you giving your hands opportunity to sin? Paul would say, if you steal, you who steal, steal no longer. But work with your hands doing that which is right. That you might give to him who has a need. Paul says, stop using your hands, your bodies for unrighteousness. And present them to God as tools of righteousness. The blood on the thumb. How does a how will a young man cleanse his ways? David wrote, by paying heed to your word, O Lord. How is it that I'm going to walk in the will of the Lord? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will guide your steps. Anointing the toe, the toe with blood. Changes how I walk, what I do, and how I hear. If I want to move forward... I want to experience the cleansing that God has. I want to experience the clothing that God has, the anointing that God has, and I need to apply the blood. We have that phrase, you know, it got run into the ground a few years ago. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? How, is Je- how would Jesus, it, 
is listening to this going to make me closer to the Lord? If he answers yes, listen. If he answers no, why are you doing it? Well, I'm free. You're free. Yeah, I can't argue with that. You're free. You're free. Is what you're doing making you closer to the Lord or not? If it is, then you've applied the blood. If it's not, then you're going to stay at that point until you're willing to make that application. Hey, I'm not saying if you, don't, if you do it, you don't do it. It's not a sin. Hey, you die and go to heaven and stand right next to the two million who died in the wilderness, still saved, but not well-pleasing to the Lord. Reach that level of consecration, having applied the blood. Well, he goes on says, Now they took the fat and the fat of the tail and the fat that was on the entrails, verse 25, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, two kidneys, their fat, the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread, anointing oil, and one wafer, and he put them on the fat and on the right thigh. And he placed these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands, and they waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. That was their part. The part that God was given, uh, they take that and they wave it before the Lord. They, they lift it up to him and they wave their arms. They're showing devotion to him. When I worship, when, uh, when I get an opportunity just to be just another guy and, and stand in a crowd of folks and just worship, it's a blessing. One of the things I learned to do in worship I'll still remember, I'll never forget the time I first raised my hands in worship. What was that all about? Some people look at that and they say, oh, you're just trying to draw attention to yourself. And oh, certainly for some people, maybe that's true. But for me, I always looked at it like I was lifting up my hands to my dad. Like our kids, when they come running up to us and they do this. What, what, what's our response when our children do that to us? We reach down and pick them up. Reach down and pick them up. It was an an attitude of devotion. Showing devotion to the Lord. Hey, that's what's going on here. They're showing devotion to the Lord. And while they stood there in this consecration offering, what happened? Well, God filled their hands. Folks, if you want to be consecrated to the Lord, you don't come to the Lord with your agenda. You don't come to the Lord with your plan. You come to the Lord... Standing before him with empty hands, and he will feel your hands. He'll feel your hands. That's what consecration means, to feel the hands. To feel the hands. That's what they're doing. They're having their hands filled by the Lord. Well, let's see. They put all these things in Aaron's hands. Verse 28. And Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on the burnt offering, and they were a consecration offering for a sweet-smelling aroma. That was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram consecration as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on their garments and the garments of his sons. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. The blood of Jesus cleanses, the oil of the Spirit provides 
the sweet-smelling aroma. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses, and the oil, the oil perfumes. That's how it works. The blood of Jesus Christ makes us clean. The oil, the power of the Holy Spirit is what makes what we do smell right. Folks, if you're doing it on your own, it's just sweat. And it don't smell right. And you can tell. Oh, I'm mopping for the Lord. Yeah, I'm mopping for the Lord. But the first person who walks by and doesn't say something about what a good job I'm doing mopping, man, I can't believe he just walked by and didn't say nothing. Well, Jackie saw me the other day mopping out here, and, and he did not say one thing to me. Stinking guy, don't. He should learn to appreciate it. You should appreciate it when, when people serve. I don't know where he gets off thinking those things. I may not even clean again. Well, who are you cleaning for? If you're cleaning for me, save yourself the time. If you're cleaning for the Lord, then it doesn't matter. Right? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses the oil of the Holy Spirit perfumes. Hey, when I'm serving in the power of the Holy Spirit, that stuff doesn't bother me. If I'm serving in the flesh... That's where we get stinking thinking. We need to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doing that work. Well, then he goes on. Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door, verse 31, of the tabernacle of the meeting, and eat it there with the bread. It's in the, the basket of consecration offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat. So here we see Aaron and his sons eating the part of the sacrifice that was to be given to the priests. What remains of the flesh and of the bread, you will burn with fire. You remember the deal, right? They'd offer the offering. They had to eat it all. Eat whatever they could eat that day. Whatever they couldn't eat was gone. They didn't put it in a fridge for later. It was gone. One time, eat. Next time, they needed another sacrifice. They were not going to, to be able to hold it over. What remains of the flesh, you will burn with fire. And you shall not go outside of the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he will consecrate you. Wow! They're going to do this for seven days. What we just read. Just read that chapter seven times because every day they did it again. Every day they started again, they began again, they did the sacrifices again for seven days. For seven days, they ate what they could eat of the sacrifice. At the end of that day, whatever they couldn't eat, they took outside the camp. And the next day, it started again. And it started again. And it started again for seven days in a row. Well, seven's the number of completion, right? We want to apply this to us. Well, when we consider what it meant to them, we need to understand that it showed them each and every day they had to appear before the Lord. Each and every day, they had to seek his face. Each and every day, they had to make atonement for their sin. They had to come before the Lord in confession. They had to experience all these things each and every day. Because before these guys could give out, they had to receive. Folks, you cannot give out to anyone else if you are not receiving. If you are not locked away... If you are not spending time with the Lord. I shared with you before when I was going through Bible college. One of the guys at Bible college would say this. In order to prepare a message, you need to set aside 20 hours before the Lord for each message that you do. 
Now, reality is, I don't set aside 20 hours for every message that I do. But it helps get locked in your mind the importance of setting yourself alone before the Lord to receive from Him because you cannot give if you do not receive. Well, Jack, you don't understand. Man, I, I, I work a, a full-time job and I don't really have time to study before I come and teach Sunday school. Then you're not giving them kids anything. If you don't receive, you can't give. Well, I, I can't possibly do 20 hours. Good, do something. you got to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and receive from him if you're going to give. You can't just wing it. When I, was doing, when I was doing youth group, every once in a while, I'd give some of my other youth leaders opportunity to teach. And occasionally, they would start their message like this. Well, I didn't really have time to study. That meant it was time for Jackie to get up. I'm ready. If you didn't study, sit down. If you haven't received from the Lord, you can't give. They sat before the Lord seven days, did not offer a sacrifice for nobody else, just wholly consecrating themselves to the Lord. Because if they didn't do that, they didn't have anything to give. Folks, if we want to move on with the Lord, we've got to be cleansed, clothed, anointed. We've got to apply the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to experience the sacrifice, and we need to set at his feet. Seven is the number of completion, right? You've got to sit there until it's done. Seven days, an hour, three hours, I don't know. But you've got to sit there until you have received from the Lord. So that you are able to give. That's what they're doing. That's what we see happening with these guys. So, he says in verse 34, As he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do and to make atonement for you. Therefore, stay at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting day and night for seven days. And keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. They had to do it so they wouldn't die. You know the average lifespan of a minister? Two years. Average lifespan of a minister is two years before they quit. Why is that? Because you're not spending that time that you need before the Lord. And you've got to spend time with him to give what did he say to them if you don't do this you're going to die if you don't do it you're going to burn out if you don't do it you're going to be all frazzled and say i can't do this ministry anymore whatever it is i can't spend this time anymore it's just it's just wearing me out yeah it's wearing you out you got to sit at the feet of jesus christ if you're going to minister that's what you have to do there has to be that consecration, that focus on him. So then what happens in chapter 9? Well, look, it came to pass on the eighth day. The seven days were over. Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel and said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. So seven days were over, and, and so he immediately begins to deal with the people? No. Seven days totally consecrated to the Lord. Seven days totally focused on him. And he still had to do a sin offering when he came out. Still had to deal with sin. Sin's not leaving us, folks. It's here. Jesus Christ, well, he's paid the price. But we can't let down our guard, not for one moment. 
Not for one minute. You let down your guard, what's it going to do? Just sneak up and bite you. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's there. We have to be dealing always, consistently dealing with sin, considering the work that sin is doing in our life. So the first thing he does, after seven days focused on the Lord, he offers a sin offering. After the separation and the consecration, though, what we just experienced, after all of that, listen, then the glory of the Lord shows up. Look what he says, verse 4. A bull and a ram is a peace offering, so you're going to offer the sin offering, the burnt offering, a peace offering, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, the meal offering. And what's it say? For today the Lord will appear to you. Guys, once we've been consecrated, once we've been separated, once we've decided, no, I'm serious about my relationship with the Lord. I anointed my ear. I anointed my my thumb, my toe. I'm being covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm moving on. Once we do all those things, God shows up. They see him. They hear from him. They receive from him. God is going to appear. Look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in chapter 9. Watch how fast we go through chapter 9. You catch that? They offer all those sacrifices. We've already studied those sacrifices in the first seven chapters. We already explained how they are pictures of Christ. That's important. They're going to offer all those things exactly in line with how God told them to do it in the first seven chapters. But listen, I don't want you to miss this. We go to verse 22, chapter 9. It says, And Aaron lifted his hand toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. He's blessed the people. He's coming down from offering the offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting. And they came out and they blessed the people. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 6 verse 24 what that blessing was. You want to know that blessing? Read Numbers 6 24. It's a blessing. You've heard it before. Probably more times than you can, can care to remember. They offered the blessing of Numbers 6 24. And then the glory of the Lord. Listen, then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, the fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their face. You imagine what that's like? Okay, we just spent seven days consecrating these guys, focusing on them. They totally focused in on the Lord, totally separating themselves to the use of the Lord. Then they come out, they offer a sin offering for himself, and then he offers a sin offering, a burnt offering, and a peace offering with a meal offering for the people. And as he offers those offerings, they're up there on the altar, they're still burning. Moses and Aaron, they come down and they bless the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. Ever heard that before? That's the blessing. Now you've heard it. He did that blessing. And then fire came out of heaven. And it's gone. The sacrifice is gone. Everything's gone. God showed up. God showed up. His fire came. His fire came. You know how many times that's happened in the scriptures? 
Oh, you bet. If I ask you that question, I'm probably going to give you the answer, right? It happens seven times. Seven times fire comes from heaven and accepts the sacrifice. Seven times we see it. I'll give them to you. Abel, Cain and Abel. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Fire came down from God and accepted his sacrifice. Aaron, here in Leviticus chapter 9. Gideon in Judges 6. Manoah, that's the father of Samson. His is uh, accepted by fire in Judges 13. David in 1 Chronicles 21. Solomon at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles 7. And Elijah in 1 Kings. Seven times fire comes down from heaven. Boom, takes up this. There's no question, God showed up. God showed up. God was there. God was a part of what was going on. God was, was saying to the people, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Guys, if we want to move forward into the company of the two instead of the company of the two million, that's what we do. That's how we consecrate ourselves. It can't be an argument about what is it okay for me to do or not okay for me to do. That is the argument of the people who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and never found rest with God. I'm not saying they weren't saved. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about consecration. It's talking about dedication. It's talking about being focused completely on what God has for you. Two people of the two million were willing to face anybody. They were willing to face the giants. Isn't that the bottom line? Why didn't they go into the land? Children of Israel would not face the giants. Wouldn't face them. There are Anakim in that land. Not Anakin like Skywalker. Anakim like giants. There are... There are giants in the land. We won't go. They'll squash us like bugs. Two guys, Joshua and Caleb, we'll go. We'll go. We believe God. How could they do that? What was different from them and everybody else? Cleansed, clothed, anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sacrifice was given. Application of the blood. They were obedient to all that God called them to do. And what happened? God showed up. Boom. Like fire from heaven. So for 40 years, the people wandered. 90 funerals a day for 40 years. At the end of which time, Joshua and Caleb are old guys now. Older guys. And they went in. And God did what he would have done 40 years earlier. They entered into everything that God has for them. We want to enter in for everything that God has for us. we got to make a decision that we're willing to do that. Now, I could do chapter 10 in five minutes, but I'm not going to. It's too important. There's too much stuff there, and we don't want to miss, so we'll uh, pick that up next time. But listen, we got to realize, I want to move forward with God in the consecrating. Remember when I said the tabernacle? First, we come to the altar. We offer our sacrifice. Then we come to the bronze labor. That's the labor of consecration separation the cleansing that god does sanctification in our life that happens when we consecrate ourselves to the lord world's full of people who give lip service right it's not full of so many people who give real service 
What's the difference? We talked about this before. What's the difference between every kid that plays high school football in the NFL? Commitment. That's all. The only difference from there to there is commitment. Consecration. Those athletes that go to that next level, they know what they can and can't do. Are they free to do whatever they want? Sure. They can eat as many quarter pounders with cheese as they want to eat. Will they run fast? Not if they eat enough. Right? Same way in our consecration to the Lord. Are we free? Yeah. But is all things helpful? No. So, apply the blood. Ear, thumb, toe. Do those things which are going to help you draw near to Jesus Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time. We can come before you. We thank you for an opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the book of Leviticus, God. We thank you for how it speaks to us today, Lord. I thank you that, that uh, so many of the, of the great commentators have, have laid out for us that the book of Leviticus, if we can get a grasp of that, we will understand so much more about what it is to be holy because the whole book lays out for us Holiness unto the Lord. Are we willing to be holy? Are we willing to make that sacrifice? You don't have to. We can stay where we are. But if we want to experience everything that God has for us, everything that He is wanting to pour into our lives, then may we make the choice, like Aaron and his sons, When God calls and says, who will stand with me? May we stand up and say, we will. And when they say, well, in order to stand, then you need to be consecrated. You need to be cleansed. You need to be clothed. You need to be anointed. You need to make that sacrifice. You need to apply the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, let us not be afraid to present ourselves to you a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable act of worship. Lord, we lay this time down before you and pray that your spirit would move in a mighty way. Lord, as we give you all the praise and the glory for what you have done, we lay this before you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.